that time to get started again. Matthew chapter 7, and this time we are going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus brings his message to a rather dramatic close, as you will be seeing, as we have been seeing the last couple Sundays. We've been taking our time getting through that last portion. He's been making a point, and uh, it's going to become quite clear this morning. Let's ask him for his grace. Heavenly Father, now we always need your help. Holy Spirit, you are with us. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to understand these words, not just to know them, but to obey them so that we can be benefited by them. Lord, we look to you. Guide us. Guide our thoughts. Keep our hearts soft and our hearts open to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's been said, the most important part of a house is not what you can see, but what you cannot see. You're going to have trouble with your doors or your windows or your gutters or your siding. Yes, that's a pain in the neck, but really it's not the end of the world. But if, on the other hand, you have a problem with the part that you cannot see because it's underground, the part that nobody really thinks much about, the foundation, if that fails, then the entire structure is in jeopardy. Let me show you how boring a foundation is. Nobody gets too excited about it. You don't call your friends and family. You don't take a selfie uh, with it necessarily unless you're a builder type or an engineer or somebody like that. Uh, But if that fails, the part that nobody really pays attention to, then you could wind up with a house that looks like this. Right, That's kind of imploding upon itself. The things that you can see now are a disaster because the part that you couldn't see, the underpinning of the structure, was faulty in some way. And Jesus is going to use this metaphor, most famous metaphor, to describe a person's life. He's going to say here at the close of Matthew 7, he's going to say uh, what makes a person blessed in life, and more than that, more important, is what secures a soul in the life to come, which is forever, will depend upon what foundation, what the underpinnings of your soul, the spiritual truths, the spiritual principles by which you lived, That will determine for you, uh, really it will make or break you, and we are talking about forever, Jesus' words. And so uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Hilltop or Sermon on the Mount there around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus has laid out the gospel. He has preached it for three chapters and the good news about salvation, and he wants, see, he commands people to respond. He's simple and clear, and he's been saying now for two um, Sundays that we've been studying, the choice is really clear. You have two options, right? One ends in hell, and one ends in heaven, so choose wisely, because there's a lot on the line. Heaven and hell 
are eternal. So he says, uh, as and you'll recall, he chose three metaphors to show the contrast between these two choices that we have. So first, and we covered a whole Sunday on the two roads. He said there's a uh, narrow road through a small gate. He called himself the only gate that leads to life. And he said, few there be that find it. And he said, there's a wide path that is more popular in this life. It's so inclusive. It, it includes any spiritual path and every spiritual path apart from him. And he said, the only problem is, so it's very popular and very easy, and you kind of make your way up as you go. Uh, it's wide in that sense, but the only problem is it ends in eternal loss. And so he says, watch out for the two roads, make sure you're on the right path. And then he went from the two roads to two religions, right? Which ended up in two looking like two trees. The good Christian or evangelist who shares the gospel was like this healthy tree with healthy fruit that nourishes people. And then he said, watch out for the trees that uh, uh, bear poisonous fruit or thorns and thistles. You don't want that. And he said, two religions, it's Christ and faith in him or eternal loss. So he makes it very easy. These are the words of Jesus. And then we finish up this morning with the two houses. And he says, take care of how you build your house standing for your life. Right? And he says, one chooses a, a foundation of rock. And the storms come, and that person is safe and secure from all alarms. And one chooses a foundation of shifting sand. The same storm comes, and they lose everything. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But I always like reading about all three of the metaphors that he uses there in the context. He's really just saying the same thing in three different ways. So because out of a heart of love, God, our Savior, wants all men and women to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. He said, I take no delight in the death of evil people but rather that they would turn from their sins and accept the peace offering that God has made with a sinful world and says, come, whosoever, whosoever, anybody, drink of the waters of life and come and live forevermore. And so that's God's heart. He's repeating it over and over again and showing these results in a, a graphic and dramatic way. And so for full impact, we'll repeat the whole conclusion, and then we'll focus in on the two houses. Okay, so starting at verse 13, it should be familiar to you by now. Enter through the narrow gate, tight gate. For wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road and disciplined and tight. It leads to life and only a few find it. And watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They look like good guys. They sound like they're preaching the truth. But inside they're ravenous wolves. By their fruit, by the way they live and what they say, you'll recognize them. Come on, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what you do with worthless trees. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He goes on. Now, not everyone who claims to be a Christian or know the truth or follow Christ, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. But only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven to trust in his Son, to repent of our sins, to surrender to Christ. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? Didn't we prophesy, proclaim in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. We never met. You never connected with me. You didn't belong to me. And I didn't belong to you away from me. Sinners, you're still in your sins. Nothing ever changed, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this starts our text, our passage for consideration this morning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains come down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house. Guess what? It doesn't fall because it's founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words, they know them, they've heard them, they could recite them, but they don't do them. That person's like a foolish person who builds their house on sand. The rains come down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against that house, that life in final judgment. And it falls with a great crash. The word crash there is the strongest possible word that you could use in the Greek language. Verse 28. When Jesus finishes his sermon, the crowds are amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Of course, he's, he's the God man, you know, and not as their common rabbis of the day. And so with that, you have the context and we will be headed to the two houses, as I told you. Yes, of course, the... the, the People were amazed at his authority because he spoke with such power and such confidence. Uh, the Son of God didn't want his words to be admired. He wanted his words to be obeyed. And why? Because he's some deity, di- dictator kind of God. No, he says, I want you to obey these commands that lead to life for your own good and for your children's good as well. And so it's not rocket science, the gospel here. The Son of God came down from heaven. Imagine that, that claim in John chapter 6. I came down to heaven to give my life away, really to show us the way to heaven. It's a fitting thought for Advent Sunday that God became one of us, conceived of the Holy Spirit. The God-man is born from a virgin human womb into this world with no earthly father, but conceived, as I said, by the Holy Spirit with the purpose to die for our sins, to show us a way to be saved. In fact, the angel tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
That's what Jesus' name means. The Lord is salvation. And so the way that Jesus does that as we get started here thinking uh, is a narrow way. He says there's one gate on the gate. God, the God-man laid down his life, shed his blood, be, became that sin on our behalf to put us right with God, and there's no other way. And so he is not being mean or condescending by saying that he is the exclusive way to heaven. He's being truthful, kind, and loving to tell us of the path that leads to life in a world where there are a multitude of spiritual paths. And so he says the unhappy truth, he says, are people uh, want other paths. And many who believe that it is well with their soul is going to find out on that great day a terrible surprise that he says, depart from me, you missed the emergency exit ramp. You ignored my word, you disregarded my warning, and you built your house on a foundation of sand. And the storm of death and final judgment is what God is talking about, not the trials and tribulation of this life. The context is final judgment and death and then standing before the throne of God to give an account, to have the scrutiny of God Almighty survey your life for moral perfection. Those who have had their sins removed have it on behalf of Christ's sake, because of Christ. But those who are steeped in their sins and have not taken the payment plan, they, they have their sins and God requires of them uh, payment. And of course, it doesn't have to be that way is good news. God our Savior does not will that anybody perishes, but that all come to him in repentance. And so... For those who choose the narrow path and go through that tight little gate of Jesus and Jesus alone, he says, Jesus says, paradise awaits you. Uh, Paul the apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart or mind of man the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. So it's going to be marvelous walking through that narrow gate that leads to a place called paradise. And so now we are down to uh, two houses, two foundations. And it doesn't overcomplicate things at all with this third picture of the contrasting responses to the gospel. He says, everybody out there that you know is building a house. And there's only two kinds of houses. And really the point is there's only two kinds of builders. And so one is smart, the other one not so much. And so note takers, it's pretty easy. We're just going to chop it up right in half. 20, verses 24 and 25, the wise builder and we're going to talk about the wonder of an indestructible life. And verses 26 and 27 will make point number two, the foolish builder and the tragedy of losing everything. Now, come on, Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? So this is what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is trying to say God would rather die than to have that happen to anybody, any human being. And so he gladly did die. And whoever ends up on the wrong side of judgment on that day does so having to have to, to somehow 
leap over the, the bloodied, battered, broken body of our Lord and Savior as he pleads with them, don't do it. You don't have to. I've paid for your sins. I've bought you back from the grave. I ra- can raise you to new life and set you on a path that leads to life. And so those are the two points, the wise builder, the foolish builder. Let's dive in with the focus on the wise builder and a few amazing things about that. Now, I would like to spend most of our time talking about the wise builder because 99% of you are wise builders with the foundation of Jesus Christ, an indestructible life, and I want to talk about that. And we'll talk about the sad reality of those who reject the gospel uh, as sort of a PS at the end there, and then we'll uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we call it, and communion. Remember what went into making an indestructible house, the foundation of the cross, of Calvary, and so we'll look at that. But let's talk about the verses in front of you where he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words and doesn't just hear them, James, the Lord's half-brother, will remind us of Jesus' words where he says, don't deceive yourself, don't kid yourself, don't pull your own leg. It's more than just knowing and hearing and even talking about God's words. You've got to be doing it. He says, it's the doer of the word who is blessed. Not the talker, not the proclaimer. James will also say, stop telling everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Just show us. Show us by how you live, because it's how you live will be a more accurate description of what's truly the state of your soul. And so here we are with some amazing things. And the first thing I want to say is this wise builder wasn't always wise, the most a uh, wonderful thing is, is that he was a fool, she was a fool as well, one time in their lives. Let me show you what Ephesians chapter 2 has to say. As for you, wise builder, on a foundation of a rock, you, you used to be dead in your sins and your transgressions, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, on the wide, broad path with everybody else, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature going to hell. Deserving of wrath is deserving of God's judgment, and that Jesus describes as a place called hell. Verse 4, but because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sins. It's by grace and grace alone. You're just believing in him. You have been saved. So amazing that we were once in this house that stood condemned. It would have been a terrible crash But by his grace, he got us out of that house and put us in an indestructible one. Let me show you more wonders. I mean, we all used to be on the broad path, 1 Corinthians here, chapter 6. 
Don't you realize that people who always do what's wrong, they're always doing it. It's consistent in their life. They're not going to heaven. Don't be deceived. People who consistently are sexually immoral, they're idolaters, they're adulterers, or men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor slanderers, or swindlers uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. This is the wonder that we were in that house. We were in the uh, ill-fated house. We were on the broad path. We were eating of the rotten fruit from the dead poisonous tree. But God, he says, but such were some of you. I mean, everybody is in the list there. That is what you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God and by how you met Christ. You met Christ and his spirit came into you and made some changes and took you off the path, the highway to hell and put you on a straight and narrow path that opens up into the paradise of God. You, the foolish person, a sinful person, a person dead in sins. This is a glorious, glorious thing. And so why do some people wise up and others do not. We can go back to our text. Thank you, Spencer. What, what is it? How do you go from being a fool living in a house that's condemned to a house that will stand forever, your life, eternal life? Well, there's a bit of a mystery, isn't there? God intervenes. God knocks on the door of hearts. And the Bible lets us in on a little secret. He says that those who live forever, who come to be reconciled back to God, God knew us beforehand and chose us in love and predestined us. In other words, he chose and called us while we were choosing and calling him. When we get to heaven, we'll be able to do that kind of theological math. We're not able to do it now, but we're happy for it. I don't know about you. I'm happy. I'm happy that God stacked the odds in our favor. You know, it's about time something good happened, right? You know, to, to know that God was for us and not against us because we were calling and choosing while he was calling and choosing and everybody has that choice. Now, uh, what prompted us to turn, to get out of that condemned house? Well, there were signs and there's always signs of a foundational crack that the, something's uh, creaking and moaning and we who have been uh, graced by his Holy Spirit, we begin to hear that and become afraid. We, we actually have self-preservation, and that's not an ignoble uh, motivation to be saved at all. And so the old house is, is creaking with fear and guilt and shame. The Holy Spirit kicks our consciences up a notch, and so now we become aware that we're sinful. We, we feel bad about it. We know that we're going to face God and all of this from the Holy Spirit. And our, the gospel brings conviction. And so, you know, when somebody's warned that a tsunami is coming, you, you can do one of two things. You can ignore it or you can head to higher ground. Uh, when a tornado is ripping through Kansas, you know, you can say, oh, you know, they're, they're always talking about tornadoes, tornadoes, tornadoes. Or you can go below to your storm shelter. When the ship is sinking, it's a good time to get off the ship and onto the lifeboat. Amen? 
Maybe you got a whiff of death or something in the ventilation that just said, you know, something smells like it's died. And it was like us, you know, just slowly dying in our sins. And the, the whiff, or you got a fragrance of life. And so you decided to take God up on his offer God has many ways to get through to somebody living in a condemned house that's going to be condemned one day, but he brings a lot. He shoots a lot over the bow of the ship uh, to let us know. One evangelist in Japan said, every wrinkle and every gray hair is your personal evangelist who says, prepare to meet thy God. <laughs> so when you look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, hello, mom, hello, dad, you know, What's really going on is God is saying, well, hello, you're going to be seeing me soon. There's no way around it. You can work all you want on the outward appearance, but inwardly it's going to happen to you. So, yeah, uh, there was a Hollywood fashion designer. His name is Beckett Cook. He's wrote a best-selling book about his uh, conversion to Christ. He was, as I said, a fashion designer. He was jet-setting all over the world, hated the gospel, and uh, he was in Paris at an afterglow with any names, the celebrities who were in the room, and you'd be like, wow. And he looked around and said, this is death. There's something about it. He said, this is empty. Why am I miserable? I should be happy. A couple months later, he tells it in his book. He was at a coffee shop where he lived in Hollywood, and there were a bunch of guys sitting around a table at a coffee shop and reading the Bible. And he was drawn over with his buddy, and he went over just to kind of give him a bad time. And he said, I smelled the fragrance of life. From the fragrance of death at the afterglow party in Paris, he smelled death. And then at the table, he smelled life. And it wasn't what he wanted to hear either because he was asking all about it. Was this a sin? Is that a sin? And they said, yes, it is. But God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin and requires us to have a new life to turn away from our sins. And so uh, the next Sunday he went to that evangelical church and he was weeping through the whole service and got saved. And now he's all traveling all over the world preaching the faith he once tried to destroy in other people's lives, much like the Apostle Paul said of his uh, testimony. And so, yeah, what? I mean, we hear his voice, and we take him up on the offer. He says in John 5, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. There it is will not be judged. You will not be condemned. How could you not be condemned? Because your sins are gone. They've been paid for. They were taken off of you and put on Christ and God sent this thunderbolt down. And he paid them all. 100% till Jesus cried out, it is paid for. That's what it is finished means. That's what he did. So of course, you believe in that. You connect with his spirit. He says, I paid it all. You're connected to me, and when God looks at you, he will see me, perfect, without sin, paid for, a dearly loved son or daughter without, without any flaw at all. 
That's a good deal. And so it made sense to us. For some reason, we connected the dots and made our move. And we got out of that house. And, and God poured into our souls a new foundation. We believed on Christ. We repented of our sins. We put his word into practice, right? We weren't just hearers deceiving ourselves. And then what happens? A lot of Christians are misinformed at this point. They think like they see... Coming to Christ is, is crossing the finish line. I got my fire insurance. I'm done. That's the end. And now I just live my life knowing that I'll go to heaven wrong. It's the, the starter's pistol has gone off and the clock starts ticking as far as your stewardship of the life that you're building upon the foundation that Christ has now poured into you himself, his Holy Spirit, is your foundation. And he says, you are a builder. He calls us, we are Christ builders, and we are building a building, our life. And he says, you better take care, Christian, how you build that house on top of the new foundation, because it doesn't mean you do anything you want now, nor does it mean you will not have a judgment you will have a judgment, but it's more rightly called an evaluation. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's a passage I bring up all the time because I think Christians don't even know about it. First Corinthians chapter 3. By God's grace, the foundation is laid. There it is, the spiritual foundation of salvation, Jesus Christ, the cross poured into us. But each one should, be, should build with care. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You come to God, you're in through Jesus' merits, not your own, just by faith. Done. Now, <laughs> you need to be careful. If anyone builds on the foundation, and there are two choices of materials to use building your life. Uh, quality ones and ones that don't have quality. Gold, silver, and costly stones, if you build with that, you, or you could build with wood, hay, or straw. Your work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day means, oh, we have a judgment too. It's not the same as the uh, ones who are condemned. It's a totally different judgment. It's called two different things, the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne. They're separated by a thousand years. They have nothing to do with each other. The Christians have an evaluation night at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a celebration, and each person is judged and evaluated. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the judgment seat of Christ, where rewards are in mind, not eternal destination. Everybody at that judgment will be in heaven. And some rewarded, and some not so much. And here's what he says. It will be revealed with fire. It's a nice symbol. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work, every Christian. If what has been built survives, the builder gets a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames, depending on what kind of life they live. Now, how many of you would agree? I'm just glad to be there. And so, uh, yeah, but you will want some reward as well. And so, wood, hay, and stubble. Do I need, need to even define it? There are a lot of Christians who are careless. They think, ah, I'm saved by grace. It's okay. And they're, they're kind of casual with their sinning. Yes, they're forgiven. 
But they're, they're careless. They're foolish choices. They have impure motives. Uh, they don't seek the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, but they're still saved. And he says, a lot of that is going to be burned up. And whatever's left, as far as your good works, the good things, they will be rewarded. But you have lost opportunity. You've lost reward. You've lost honor in the life to come. Uh, and uh, gold, silver, and costly stones. Come on. You're dying to yourself. You're on your knees. You're working at this. Uh, you're determined. You have spiritual fervor. You serve. You give. You keep a tight rein on your tongue at a cost. You overlook an offense, even though it costs you. Who wants to overlook an offense? Nobody except Jesus and Jesus' spirit in us. But he says, cha-ching, when we do these things, God is keeping track of them. Good deeds, sharing the gospel, forgiving those who offend you, going the extra mile. All of that is gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, uh, this is what we need to be concentrating on. Now, a new Christian who just got saved said, shouldn't we just be motivated to do the right thing? Because doing the right thing has its own reward in itself. And, and I said, yes, true, Tony. Um, but <laughs> where's oh, there he is? Uh, but uh, because it's the right thing to do, God wants the life to come to be equitable and fair. Now, all believers receive salvation as a gift. We all get, get that by believing, right? But on top of the gift of salvation, God says, for those who took the, 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 their Christian life seriously and tried twice as hard as other people, they're going to get twice as much honor and reward. Why wouldn't that make sense? Listen to what one writer said. How divinely equitable of our God. Why should one believer who was lazy as a sloth, obstinate as a donkey, be rewarded the same as a hardworking, obedient believer who took great pains to build their lives to please Christ, to abstain from sin and to serve his good interests, not simply their own? Of course, of course God has found a way to be equitable with us all. And he gives a parable. Let me show you it and then we'll move on. Now I paraphrase this. Jesus speaking in Luke 19. Here's a little story. He's called it a parable. Uh, that will help you understand what the Christian life is all about. A member of the royal family, wink, wink, was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided equally among them 10 bags of silver, each one receiving one bag each. He told them, invest this for me while I am gone. After he was crowned king and he returned, he calls the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out how they did. How'd you build? Wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious gems? He goes on. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money, the one bag you gave me, and your money made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king says, you're a good servant. 
You have been faithful with little. I entrusted you with, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reports, Master, I invested your money, the same one bag you gave him, the same abilities, the same opportunities, the same gifting, the same calling, all things being equal. Me and him had the, about the same things going for us and going against us. But somehow, your money made five times the original amount. Well done, the king says. You'll be governor of five cities. Of course. Of course. All things being equal, you're not being compared to anybody else. You're being compared to yourself, really, and your calling, your gifting, your opportunities, right? But look at this. It tells us so much. First of all, he wants us protect. <laughs> he pours into our life. He wants us working for him. We're servants of the Most High God. He came to seek and save the lost, and on the same errand, he has sent the church. We've got good deeds laid out for us to do. Of course, why would you pour your life's blood into somebody and invest in them and then just have them go off and do their own thing? Of course, he wants us effective and productive, growing Christian character, shining our light, holding out the word of life, he, he's paying attention. And then one guy's got a five, uh, one guy's got a 500% increase. And one guy's got a thousand percent. So in the next life, those who are faithful, their faithfulness is commensurate with the amount of honor and trust God gives us then. So just so you know, you are, by your choices today, tomorrow, and the next day, you are determining the role that you play in God's kingdom. And everybody is going to be happy. Everybody's going to be, wow, this has worked out perfectly. We will be glad for the other one's success of 10 cities. We'll be happy with the five cities. And like I said, I will be glad just to be there. <laughs> so, uh, But this is a motivation. So that the next time you think, oh, I'm saved by grace, I have a whatever. And you're sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. It's going to cost you. Poof. Poof to the bad stuff and the good stuff stays. And the good stuff is like a cup of cold water to one of the least of these Christians. He's saying, when you encourage somebody in the smallest little way, cha-ching, I'm counting that for you. Because God wants you to be happy and in awe with what your rewards are going to be. But like our new believing brother has said, it is awesome just to do the right thing because it's the right thing and it brings a smile to God's heart whether or not it's attached to any reward. Amen? And so we do move on. I think you understand it now. And um, sadly, this is not the destiny of all to, to see a smiling face on the face of our judge. But no, they're going to see a scowl. And so let's be reminded of their situation as we wrap things up. But everyone who hears these words knows them, recites them, memorizes them, sings them, but doesn't do them. It's just like a fool who builds his house on the sand. The storm comes, he dies, he stands before God, and it's a disaster. 
Now, a few things to see here. Jesus' original audience really could relate to this idea of building uh, foolishly on the sand. The sand there is called around the Sea of Galilee. I got a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And you can see the sand there. It's called alluvial sand. It's just a big fancy word for silt. And the kind of sand and clay mixture that is often around uh, water like a lake. And so uh, what they say is it's deceptively hard most of the year. And so it's very tempting if you want a a lakefront property uh, to build on it without much digging and just throw the house up there, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's uh, in Bethsaida, there's a place called El Araj. And uh, Bethsaida is where Peter, Andrew, and Philip are from. And they did some uh, excavating, and they saw evidence of houses that had imploded with no foundation and foundations that were well built. And in 1978, I just thought this was interesting. The Israel Water Systems was installing uh, channels for pipes there, and they saw ten, uh, 10 feet down that there were houses built on basalt stone that was carved or chiseled out. And so there were two ways to build. You had to, in that kind of sand, you had to dig down deep and make some effort at hitting that bedrock. Or you would bring in the basalt stones and you would build on top of that. But the lazy person, the person who only think about the temporal, the guy who likes to cut corners, You just throw up a house on the sand. And then it was fine during most of the year, but during a bad winter with a lot of water, that sand just kind of loosens up as silt will do. And down goes the house. You know, who would do that? And when Jesus was talking about this foolish man, Everybody in the, in, in the crowd was thinking, oh, that's dumb. Who would do something like that? And I started thinking, who would really set themselves up for eternal disaster in this life? Knowing that there's a gospel. I was talking to some guy who's an unbeliever. And I said, do you, you tell me. What's your plan? I just told you where evil comes from, how everybody and everything was made. Uh, about what happens after we die, the purpose of our lives. You tell me your version of reality, since you're an unbeliever. And here's what he said. I don't know and I don't care. He said, I try to be a good guy. I go to work every day. Yeah, I build my cabinets. I play video games. I watch porn. I do what I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then he said this, and I quote, I will never bow my knee to anyone or anything. Oh, sir, you already have. You bow the knee to some of the things in the list of the things that you do. You bow the knee to your own whims, to your own passions, to your own desires. And Jesus said, whatever masters you, you are a slave to it. 
And so uh, these are people who don't want to yield control. They want, don't want to abstain from sin. Uh, they don't want to be morally accountable. Uh, they prefer temporary pleasures of sin um, rather than the enduring uh, hardships of the straight and narrow path. That's them. Those are the ones who willingly build their house on the sand, which is so obvious, so obvious. Jesus says, There's, you have a conscience that's been warning you, every human being. God says in the Bible, people have a conscience to know that there's a God through creation, that the evidence of creation itself tells a person that, that the divine attributes of God and the eternal nature of God exist. Therefore, Romans chapter 1 says, everybody is without an excuse. And Romans chapter 1 says, there's no such thing as an atheist. And everybody knows the Bible's version is there's only the possibility of being a rebel to the truth one's human soul already knows. Of course, it's, it's hiding that truth and, 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 and avoiding that truth, but the sun, moon, and stars, every night they blink. There's a God. There's a God. There's a God. And the human soul knows, right? Enough to know right from wrong and that we should at least turn to God. And as one does that, even without the gospel, God is able to work with that person. But the choice, and, and this is as we finish up, you think it's a coincidence that Jesus managed to be crucified between two people that make the two choices. One goes the wide road, one goes the narrow road. One goes with the bad tree with the poison fruit. One goes with the good tree and the good fruit. One builds the, their house on the rock. One builds their house on the sand. Of course. And you see it there. You see both of them flip, flip, uh, saying all kinds of mocking insults to the Lord. And then the sun stops shining and Jesus is, is showing his mercy. Father, forgive them. And his heart is touched. And the one guy says, hey, Jesus, come on off the cross. Go down off the cross and save yourself and save us while you're at it. Ah. And the other dude now, ping, he says, hey, man, shut up. We deserve what we're getting. He's innocent. And then he turns to him after rebuking his former friend and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now he's shifting off the wide road. Phew, in the nick of time, he's almost there. And he, he escapes the wide road. He gets on the narrow path. He gets out of the condemned house as it's caving in into a sinkhole that will go down and plummet into the depths of hell. He's narrowly escaping, I don't know, out of a window screaming with no possessions, nothing. Just remember me, right? And he has a few breaths left, and Jesus says, this day, you're in a new house. You're going to be in my father's house. There's a lot of rooms up there, and you're going to be happy in paradise with me. He didn't descend into hell. My word. Just read the Bible. It says he descended into paradise. He said this day, today, 
We will descend into paradise. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he brings up the righteous side of Hades, goes with them now clean and free of their sins, washed in the blood of Christ. They can enter God's presence in legitimate heaven. But that's stuff for another sermon. And so, yeah, when it comes to your choice, choose well. I know in a crowd this side, there there are still people who are on the fence. Come on. Put everything on the gospel. Trust your soul to the promise that God makes and be secured by the blood that the God-man spilled on your behalf to pay your way to get you off the wide road and onto the narrow road that leads to life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your wonderful love. We thank you for making it so easy. Yeah, the world's offended by it, that it's your way or no way. But that's the truth. And it's a wonderful, glorious, loving truth, God. And help us to embrace the truth and endure the hostility of the world that calls us narrow-minded, just as you have called the gospel. God, help us take it on the chin, God, and just walk with patience and endurance the race set uh, before us. We thank you for the security of our souls. We don't have to worry about dying or death or diseases or car accidents or plane crashes, nothing. Just gonna usher us into the eternal kingdom, paradise of God, with our Savior and Lord, our Creator, Jesus Christ. So we thank you, God. Now, as we consider the the cost of pouring that indestructible foundation into our hearts through the cross of Calvary, would you open our eyes, God, and show us something fresh and new and encouraging? In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to the Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.